RNZ National, Wallace Chapman here. Nice to have you with us. The Green Party, they've announced a minimum income guarantee plan. That means no one gets less than $385 a week in their pockets after tax. The current basic job seek benefit is $258.50 after tax. Now, how's it funded? A new top rate of income tax of 45% on income over $180,000 and a 2.5% wealth tax on assets. But if you're earning under $125,000, you pay less tax as a result. And there's a tax-free threshold. No one has to pay tax on the first $10,000 of their income. So, yeah, it's been covered, but uh, it's gained quite a bit of response to this uh, issue. So we thought we'd return to that on the panel with us as Deloitte tax partner, Robin Walker. Kia ora, Robin. Good afternoon. So quite a bit in here, Robin, but... Um, at its heart, is this a type of policy that hopes to, what, redistribute wealth? I think that's a fair summary of, of what it is. I mean, there's definitely, like you say, a lot a lot in here. So looking at collecting potentially, you know, 12 to $14 billion of additional revenue per year over the, the different initiatives and then distributing that um, through those changes that you've mentioned. As a tax specialist, what piqued your interest in this package? Oh, well, you know, there are a lot of highlights in there for me. It's always super interesting when there's something proposed on tax. So I'd commend the Greens for starting a conversation and putting something on on the table. Um, We've got a couple of uh, political parties with tax policies out now. So this is uh, interesting. It'll be interesting to see what the response is to it. Um, I was quite surprised at just the range of the the changes, so all the personal tax rate changes, the wealth tax, the trust tax, and the and the change in the tax rate for companies was um, there's, there's a lot in there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, go to our panel, they'll have lots to say on this, but say for example um, a 2.5% tax wealth, a wealth tax on assets. So I, I'll, I'll give it a really Simple example. Uh, in fact, this is on the Greens policy statement on their PDF. If someone owns $2.5 million in assets, they'll be taxed at 2.5% on the $500,000 over the threshold if someone owns $2.5 million in assets but owes $1 million on their mortgage, their net wealth will be $1.5 million, meaning they'll be under the threshold and will not be taxed. How do you read this wealth tax and how easy or difficult is wealth tax to enact? I would be surprised if this was not highly complex. Um, and it's interesting that the proposal was to have the supply from 1 April 2024. So um, inland revenue policy officials will be flat out uh, if this comes to pass after the election. Um, probably one thing worth noting is that there aren't a lot of countries with wealth taxes. There were more, and a lot of countries have repealed them. So we're why? looking at about four countries that are less. Um, can't tell you why, but there's yeah. a number of reasons why it might be the case, which is just... Uh, potential residence flight so wealthy are highly mobile and can just leave and that's something that Norway is seeing at the moment where they've increased their wealth taxes and more wealthy people are saying goodbye um complexity so um even for a sort of 
regular person that might own a house in in um, Auckland and have a number of other assets, you're going to have to calculate your value every year um, to prove whether you are above or below that threshold. Um, and then obviously there's there can be a number of assets that you need to value. I mean, the easy one is probably your house. So you can use a ratings value and, and you know, if you've got money in the bank, then that's straightforward. If you own listed shares, that's relatively straightforward. But if you own a small business, for example, how do you value that? Is looking at um, bringing in all of your assets as well. So if you own a car that's worth more than $50,000, you have to include that as your asset. You need to include any jewellery, uh, any artwork, Art. all of that comes into the mix. Um, and so potentially it, it will be complex for people to, to calculate. And obviously, I don't know, are we going to have home visits from Inland Revenue to, to tally up uh, what's in the, sitting in the jewellery box there or what's hanging on the wall? Um, there's, there's potentially a number of issues there. Um, obviously, if you've, if you've got a house, um, that's worth a lot of money, then that's that's great. But there's also a question of how do you then pay the tax? So there is a, okay. a suggestion there that it could just be deferred so that until the asset is sold. Let's go around um, the panel on this, Robin, and uh, you can jump back in. First, uh, Leone. Yep. Yeah, so I, th- I think the first thing that struck me is that uh, do we as a country not want people with drive and ambition? Because you just read this and you think, um, God, you know, particularly for younger ones who are very mobile, who are um, ambitious and want to build businesses and all that sort of stuff, which our country desperately needs, um, it'll push them o- overseas. Um, so that was my sort of first initial thought. But then I was thinking, if we've, you know, I work in property and um, I don't think you could use your rating um, value on your house as the value because that's only done every three years and um, and that doesn't link to market value. So, are, you know, is there, are we just creating this huge big thing every year where everybody's going to have to get their houses valued? It'd be great for the valuers in the country um, plus everything else. So I just wonder about the logic. Um, but my main question was, what about those who are retired? You know, they are often asset rich but cash poor so you know you've worked all, all, all your life and you do have say a, a, an, an asset and in Auckland you know you don't have to have a, that pleasure house to be over two million dollars but you don't have the cash flow to pay so okay, retirees can we just um, park that yeah. there stay there um, Robin and we'll fold both in David yep. well Robin I have a question for you that slightly uh, um, neighbours that and that is what kind of proportion of the population are we actually talking about, do you think? Have, have you had a chance to look at these numbers? Because the, the Greens' perspective was that you're actually talking about a relatively small proportion who are affected, not, uh, readily acknowledge that there are plenty of people who would have a house worth $2 million, but it's a much smaller pool who are going to be in that uh, category that uh, are paying on excess on $2 million and... Um, I'm, I'm wondering what kind, plus, of course, that point about it being net rather than mm. gross. Do you have an idea, Robin, uh, about kind of numbers who might be affected by this? I, I do have a further question, but I'll yep. start with that. Um, no, I don't have a particular view. I mean, I guess probably to maybe address both of the the yeah. themes, there is an example in here um, about the Hood family. Now, um, Marion Hood is... Uh, elderly and her husband Robin has passed away uh, and so one of the interesting things with this is that the assets of Robin and Marion previously were below the threshold as a couple 
couple million dollars. But with Robin dying, she's actually over the threshold now because she owns 100% of, of the house and she's got some superannuation. Um, so I think that's kind of kind of an interesting point there as well, is that as you get elderly, potentially if your spouse dies, you're more mm. likely to then have to pay tax because you're not dividing it by two anymore. Um, what Marion has done in this example is she actually wants to move into a retirement home. So she, she doesn't want to look after the family house anymore. And so she decides to put that into a trust that her children are going to, to look um, look after for her. Now, one of the other things which is getting a little bit less profile is an actual proposal to say that despite the wealth tax, um, trust gets a little bit difficult. So what we're going to do with trust is actually apply a 1.5% tax to any assets that are held in a trust. And so putting her property in a trust now applies this tax rate to it of 1.5%. Now, one of the key things there is that this applies to all trusts in New Zealand. So we've got over 400,000 trusts in New Zealand. Any assets in those trusts will be subject to that 1.5% tax. So it's really common at the moment if you're you know, a business person, you'll put your family home in a trust. There'll be a number of trusts that just have family home in it. And those trusts, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about the 39% tax rate for trusts. So that won't impact them because they're not earning income. But anybody that has their family home in a trust would have this 1.5% tax applied to yeah. them. Got it. Uh, now, by the way, uh, the, the Greens do say uh, this, uh, the, the changes will affect about 0.7% uh, of uh, people in New Zealand. Hey, we, that's we, what, really what I was working off. Yes, that's 400,000 trusts. Yes, yes, I that's hear that. I hear that, but, but, but you're talking about 1.5%. We're talking about two different transactions yep. here. And and with respect to that, that trust taxation, 1.5% is not what I would call sufficiently onerous to make people say, actually, I can't bear this burden anymore, I'm leaving the country. You know, I think this argument that uh, this kills ambition is something that you have to interrogate a little because if you think back to, for example, the, the golden years after the war where you had much higher rates of, of, of um, taxation at, at, high, at higher rates of income, it didn't have the effect of discouraging people from seeking to make okay. more money. That, that is a very fundamental human ambi- um, drive that does not we'll go, evaporate back, when you put up rates. We'll come back to a couple of countries that do have. Well, are you still there, Robin? As a final note, what are a couple of countries that still do have a wealth tax? Uh, so the ones that get mentioned often are Argentina, Norway, Spain and Switzerland. Um, so the one that I've looked at the most is Norway, and Norway has recently increased its rate of wealth tax. Um, it has seen, since that change, a record number of the super rich leaving leaving Norway to find other places okay. to live. All right, um, hey, Robin, so, yeah. very, very good. Well, uh, we may well return. It's a very interesting topic, so I appreciate your time today. That's Deloitte <laughs> tax partner Robin Walker. 19 past four. We have David Slack, Leonie Freeman with me. RNZ Chief Executive Paul Thompson fronted on nine to noon this morning over the issue of supplied wire stories being given pro-Russian edits by a staffer in-house. Here he is with Catherine Ryan this morning. How could it be published on the public media organisation's website without anyone seeing it? Uh, yep, yeah, look, you've, you've, you've uh, summarised it um, um, really well. Um, it is so disappointing. Uh, I'm gutted. It's painful. Um, it's shocking. 
Um, and we have to get to the bottom of how it happened. Further investigation has revealed 16 stories, uh, also including an article produced by the BBC, have been edited on uh, RNZ's website to start coverage in favour of Russia. Now, Paul Thompson also said editing process for online wire copy published on the RNZ website were not good enough. And with us is Associate Professor Peter Thompson, lecturer at the Media Studies Program at Victoria University, whose research and interest focuses around public service media here and internationally. Uh, Dr. Thompson, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Have you seen or heard anything like this? No, I, I, it's, it's unique in my experience, although uh, I dare say there'll be an awful lot of public media agencies that use third-party wire services now checking up on their copy. Well, Reuters, BBC, they'll be following this closely, won't they? They'll be wanting assurances that this won't happen again? Well, they absolutely will. Because the key issue is that the alteration of third-party news content was a breach of the contractual agreement that RNZ had with Reuters and the BBC. So it doesn't only misrepresent the story factually, the alteration also misrepresents those new agencies, those news agencies, and it lends credibility to, to, to any misrepresentation on their part. So it, it's, you know, it really is quite problematic from the point of view of the news mm. providers because you're, you're attributing claims in the news that weren't theirs. Can, uh, can the, the, that's an amazing comment about Reuters and those other organisations um, that hadn't come across. Are, are they able to, um, I don't know, have any penalty to Radio New Zealand for, for, for what's happened? Um, that must be a really I, difficult... I, yeah, I, I imagine they're having some, some rather awkward conversations at the moment. I, I think there will be understanding. Mm. I mean, it's obviously, we hope, an isolated incident insofar as there was a single person placed in a position of responsibility for, uh, you know, for managing the, uh, the, the inclusion of wire, wire service content on RNZ's website. And clearly the, the, um, the oversight that was lacking assumed that this person was ineffectively just cutting, pasting and formatting and that they didn't have the role of a sub-editor uh, in actually being invited to rewrite the content. So what, what, what they could do, I'm not sure, but, but contractually, they'd probably be within the rights to withdraw the agreement, although I think that would be an extreme reaction given that RNZ has very quickly moved to, to offer assurances and to put in place measures that will hopefully prevent this from happening again. Peter, would you say that this suggests that we have this um, problem perhaps wider also of digital dimensions to news operations having this need to fill an, an ever-emptying space, just throwing ever, ever greater volume at it and leaving the what you would have ordered, what you've just mentioned and, and what you I think everybody would have expected, that somebody is actually reviewing this stuff and this is just not happening it does does that do you suspect that's a it's a wider problem <laughs> as i do uh, it, it we we may well find out in the near future i'm i'm hoping it's not a giant problem for respectable news media um but it's extremely unusual that the copy that's been taken from a from a third party agency has been altered in this way and, that, and i think that to some extent does explain the lack of oversight. There's simply no expectation that this content would be edited in any significant way. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think if perhaps in hindsight, in an environment where 
you know, in the digital media environment, you know, we don't always trust the, the news that we read and where there's been a proliferation of fake news, and not only from bloggers or conspiracy theorists, but from hostile state actors. Yeah. You know, the fact that interference of this nature heretofore was not even considered possible yeah, we might see now as, as a bit naive in hindsight. Can I address this um, right now? Can I actually address this right now? There were a couple of questions in the because this uh, was discussed quite a bit. Uh, the uh, Prime Ministerial uh, post cab, uh, Chris, was, uh, was asked, I think, uh, quote unquote, misinformation from a foreign power. Uh, it, it, it feels it's on some level quite stretched, and others, uh, considering this day and age, Peter, not so. What of that issue? It, it, it's right. It's, as I say, it's, it's a curious event. Um, I, I, I think I think the imaginary around how new, you know, news producers and, and news agencies supply and share content simply didn't imagine that that this kind of problem could arise. Um, and now they're going to have to look very carefully at whom they entrust with the responsibility of right. handling third-party mm. copy. It's also significant, of course, that RNZ's own model. Uh, includes news sharing on, on quite a significant level. Uh, and so I think they'll now be also wondering whether third parties who receive RNZ news and make use of that, that material uh, are themselves representing that, that, that news accurately. Peter, it does suggest, doesn't it, that the paucity of resources leaves, leaves you with some terrible uh, consequences, some dire consequences potentially. And, and, and if you don't resource your national broadcaster adequately, this is the kind of thing that might perhaps be more possible to happen for lack of oversight? I, I, I think that's absolutely correct. Uh, mm. uh, although RNZ recently has benefited from, from an increase in its, uh, in, its, in its funding from the government, um, that's probably yet to be deployed. But it's yeah. no, no great secret that really from 2007 through to 2017, RNZ you know, had had its funding in permafrost. I mean, it was it was struggling along, trying to expand online, uh, and doing so at the cost, in some cases, of, of closing regional newsrooms and indeed cutting back on the resources available to the main news, you know, radio news service. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. you know, RNZ possibly coming out of that now. But historically, yes, we have underfunded our public broadcaster, um, and in in many ways, we don't put enough money into resourcing overseas news because that's yeah. the other the other implication mm. of this we're, we're almost completely reliant on overseas media reliable as they may be to provide out our new zealand audiences with news from overseas mm. you know uh, how many how many reporters you know maybe two or three decades ago did we have routinely covering international affairs that have had to be cut because of budgets Okay, let's I mean, bring that, the in. That's really the big question here. Okay. Peter, do you think, though, you know, I, I think there's a really fair question around resources, but at the end of the day, if somebody really wanted to sabotage, uh, you know, at an individual level, whether it's this for Radio New Zealand, and I can understand the CEO being so gutted, or for any businesses, people can do damage in a business regardless of some of the checks and balances? Uh, I, I think if you set out to sabotage something internally, you probably could. Yeah. And I, th I think I think had this happened, you know, on RNZ's watch over its own content, things would have been been much different. I think it would have been picked up. It would have mm. been questioned by sub editors, but because it was as, as presumed to be reliable content from from extremely reputable agencies like Reuters and the BBC. Uh, I suspect that's the reason why there wasn't much significant oversight. The, the, the mm. idea 
that, that someone would act to change the, the substance of that reporting and misrepresent it, you know, it was probably just not imagined. And that's why it's been such a surprise. Nice um, to have you on the, the programme. They've now found okay. 16 examples. Yeah. I mean, it's quite shocking, really. Yeah. Lovely to have you uh, on the program, Peter. Kia ora. That's uh, Peter Thompson, the lecturer at the Media Studies Program at uh, Victoria University. 28 past four, just time to sneak this on a completely different note. This is, goes to the heart of sustainability, but it is, is it too far? The BBC's Matilda Whelan profiled the rise of the no-wash movement. Now, a growing cohort of people who believe in washing clothes less. Stella McCartney, she's a fan. Rule of thumb, she says, if you don't have to clean anything, don't clean it. I would change my bra uh, every day, but not now. So let's be sensible. Smalls have to be regular, but what about jeans? Is once a year enough? And it's extended to hair. Uh, <laughs> is this the true definition of feral, Leone, or is it totally in keeping with the times? What yeah. do you think on this? I don't know. I think it isn't. Doesn't it relate to smell? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I am unduly advantaged in that particular sense. <laughs> I have a nose twice the size of normal people and I smell everything and nothing offends me more than clothes that have yeah. stayed on when they should have hit the washing machine. Absolutely. Wash them, you you pig. So, <laughs> so that's a big no to the no wash movement, both well, of you. Well, I just, uh, I mean, I, I think that you don't need to wash your jeans every time you wear them, but um, I, I think you've got to wash them when when they need to be yeah. washed. So, I don't know. And what so about as you pick up the scent and it goes? Yeah. And what about very straightforward? What about really? what about hair? Well, I have much less of that than I do of nose these days. <laughs> so, but actually, no, I. I yeah, bizarrely, I need to wash my hair because there is less of it and it just goes bloody highwire or haywire everywhere. So it, it's not a cleanliness thing, it's an order thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone's got different hair, so I might wet it every day, but I don't put shampoo in it every day. I might do that once a week. But but then different people have different hair and you've got to yes. look after it differently. So again, I think blanket statements. It's a I was bit just hard. quite surprised right. the amount of people now that I come across who just don't wash their hair at all. Yeah, they'll, no, be I don't sh- they'll be in a shower and have water over it, but um, there's a whole no wash movement yeah. around here. Mm, I don't know. You're I, not one of them. No, yeah. I like to wash it every so often. Yep. Yeah. Um, let me know if you are one of those people because I'd love to talk to you. Uh, do you actually? <laughs> and if you are, I'm sorry for calling you. Uh, pig, but that's <laughs> yeah. my, my position. <laughs> don't worry about it, David. You can uh, say sorry when they're on the panel. Um, uh, because that is seriously. I, I'd like to know if actually hair washing is actually bad for your hair. Is it better to just leave it, uh, leave it free and breathe, and just have water over it? Text me two one zero one. You're on the panel, RNZ National. We have this afternoon David Slack and Leonie Freeman.